Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith. I write the comic Kadoja, in addition to reviewing horror books and horror comics on my blog, KeithRFoster.com. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. Rock and roll, man. So we know how this goes. Uh, so let's set it off. Uh, what, what did you do this week? This was a productive week. I got knocked out some commissions, um, which are always piling up, uh, like I've talked about in previous episodes. I do commissions for uh, this company called Pro Wrestling Loot. I, I guess they wouldn't be commissions. They would just be continuous jobs. I well, these know. these are the action figure drawings that you were talking right. about, right? Or the figure yeah. drawings, correct? Yeah, so it's just monthly work. So I don't even know what to call it besides commissions, but... There you go. Uh, so I knocked out a couple of those. I did a couple of uh, wrestler pins, uh, P-I-N-S, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, designs. And so those will be out in the next couple of months. And um, besides that, I actually managed to finish the thumbnails for the second shift issue 10. So, okay. yeah, yeah. So that was a big one, uh, only for the fact that the original thumbnails were erased. Um, so right. I... Yeah. It, this was this was your drive mishap that you talked about, right? Yes. So that's the disadvantage of working digitally is, is sometimes some errors can come up and your work can just be gone. So uh, the program I was using, Procreate, on my iPad Pro had some kind of error, some glitch, and basically everything on there got erased, and that was including the thumbnails for issue 10. And so I managed to go through the script and re-thumbnail the rest of the pages. And honestly, I think these pages are way stronger than my previous thumbnails. So, um, and I'm, I'm just taking that from the point of view of uh, artistic growth. I think over the last couple of months, my, uh, my page layout composition, uh, just my style in general has improved. And um, I, I partially give, give that up to Drawtober, like, Making sure I had a finished piece every day for the month of October was really helpful and just kind of sharpened the knives a bit. And so, yeah, man, um, I banged out those thumbnails and and uh, they're looking good. And, you know, I shared them with Ed. That was that's one thing that uh, me and Ed do. So when, I, when I'm laying stuff out or when I finish a page, I'll usually send it to him. And for whatever reason, I did not send him those original thumbnails. And he goes, I have the first nine pages. And I was like, OK, I have those, too but I don't have the rest. And he goes, no, you never sent me the rest of them. So I remedied mm-hmm. that this time around. Uh, I made sure to send him the pages. I uploaded the pages onto my Google Drive. And uh, so they're secure. So if anything happens on my okay. Procreate program, like I'm, I, you know, covered my bases. So. Gotcha. Got okay. So I have a couple questions here. Is the script written already for issue 10? Yes. Ed wrote that one? Yes. So Ed, okay. Ed is so fast. Um, he usually writes ahead by at least three issues. And I guess in fairness, really, Ed writes them all. You just took the script duties for 11. Correct? Yes, correct, correct. Okay. Yeah, because gotcha. that was just my Drawtober project that I just yep. turned into an issue. Um, so, but yeah, for regular second shift duties, it's it's Ed. Okay. Yeah, so it, it was a killer. Like, initially, I think we had a three-issue arc on this, and then we adjusted it to one because I was into doing one and duns and mm-hmm. um, I knocked a couple of one and duns out. And by the time I, we got back around to this villain, I was like, this feels too short, man. It feels like we've been building up to this guy for a while. 
so he <laughs> rewrote it again, and, and we made it two issues. So um, it was it was pretty fun. It's a fun script. It picks up where the last issue left off, and um, yeah, man, it, it's the thumbnails were. I don't know. It just it just flowed so much easier this time around, and mm-hmm. I was really able to detail them in a way where when I go in to actually draw the pages, when I blow the thumbnails up, it's going to translate so quickly. And I, I think I'm going to knock these pages out uh, in like record time. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting you say that because we had that big conversation last week about what happens when you lose your work and it's gone for good. And what we didn't have was kind of the the postscript or the addendum to that, which is for me on the rare times where I have actually lost what I was doing, be it an email, be it some cool bit of writing that I thought I liked, be it anything in general, I always feel like the second one's better anyway. It's more of a pain in the ass of like, shit, I got to recreate this, you know, but then by the time I get done with it, I'm like, you know, I'm pretty sure this is better than the first one I wrote. I'm sort of not disappointed that this happened. You know what I mean? So it it doesn't surprise me necessarily that you're like, they went better and smoother. I mean, at least, you know, in terms of your process, because you, you you didn't have to think on the fly and work on the fly. You knew exactly what you were going to do. And uh, you can make the argument that, you know, even though the other pages are lost to time, that maybe these pages were in fact better, right? Which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, my memory is so bad that I couldn't yeah. remember how I laid the previous pages out. So, but just the feeling I had when I was laying them out, it just felt a little more natural. Yeah. And I will say though, I have had experiences where I relayed some pages out and found some other other thumbnails. And I was like, man, I wish I would have checked this file first because I had some really good ideas. And yeah. I think I think that happened on issue, um, actually issue nine. Yeah, there was some some pages, some thumbnails I did, and uh, I forgot I had up, uploaded them to the Google Drive, which are I made I made sure to check like four times this time around yeah, <laughs> for those sure. missing ones. Um, but I found some old ones, and I was like, man, I actually like this idea better. And uh, but it was too late; I already already drawn the pages. So uh, yeah. you, you know, with art, it's it's um, it could it could go either way. But I can see mm-hmm. how working on a script. Um, uh, that could happen more often than not. And so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, no, th- these did for sure feel better. Um, so I'm Good. with you. Good. Cool. Cool. Yeah, okay. but that's so it. That, that's, that, that that's my, us... that's my whole week. Well, I, I had a second question. Oh, okay. Go for which, it. which you were kind of hinted on and, and, uh, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but there was like a perfect chance for me to jump in there, which is what, okay. So the first step was for you to do the thumbnails and give them to Ed, right? So mm-hmm. what steps are ahead of you? What what is your actual process? I don't think we've ever really talked about that. So step yeah. one, steal underpants, and step three is profit, right? But <laughs> right. step one is you send the thumbnails to Ed. So what happens next? What what are we going to be talking about in coming weeks? Okay, so yeah, step one is uh, to to f- rewind completely. So the process is me and Ed will kind of talk over the plot of the issue coming up. We'll kind of have a skeleton. We have a skeleton running through the first 30 issues, actually. So we know what's coming up. And um, sometimes Ed will work ahead if he's feeling a certain storyline. And he'll, he'll just go ahead and write the script for it. And it, it's kind of rad. And uh, I feel so bad because he's so fast. And I am the opposite. Like, I'm, I'm faster now than I was before. But, 
he's just so quick and I'm not. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to draw this in two years. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but we talked about that before. That's that's natural, you know. So, yeah. so much of a writer's work, at least in my case, is formative. It's the kind of stuff like you. Again, I can write a comic script in three or four days, if not sooner, if I want to really dedicate my time. Mm-hmm. But the months it takes to think about it are are far different. You know what I mean? So, like right. the difference is, our work starts really in kind of like the formative cloud gathering phase. And then by the time we actually put pen to paper, it doesn't take very long for you. For you, it's the reverse, right? Like, you know, you get this finished thing, this script, and Mm -hmm. then you get to turn that into stuff. But like your long work is still ahead of you because drawing takes time, you know? So yeah, it's, it's understandable. It's understandable. Yeah. So, so after uh, I get the script from him, you know, we go over our, our points uh sometimes he'll ask me like how like what i think the flow is going to be and um i definitely for the first like longer story arcs i'll, I'll let him kind of know what i'm looking for you know uh, especially for that first story arc but then after that it's kind of like hey man i'm gonna leave this up to you you clearly know what you're doing and so i'll get the script back from him and i'll just start going through you know page by page uh we talked about this in a previous episode where he was working pro style initially and he actually converted to the comic book format of script writing. And so that's helped a lot. And uh, it's definitely a thing where I'm going over his his dialogue and his panels, um, panel construction, not construction. Uh, you know, he'll go, okay, this page is six panels long. And I'll, I'll read those panels and I'll, I'll take in everything that's happening on that page. And mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll visualize it the way he has it separated and I'll decide if I do like the flow of it, if that makes sense, if um, I can minus a panel or two, or, or if I need to add a panel. Because uh, once in a blue moon, there'll be an action that it's like, okay, that's two actions and one panel from the same character. So that needs to be multiple panels. Uh, but that's that's few and far between with him, which is good. So I'll kind of go through that and uh, formulate... Uh, a plan in my head on how to lay it out and I'll I'll go from there and um, you know I like I like to arrange panels in a certain way depending on what the story is so if it's like talking heads maybe there'll be um, bigger scenes open scenes so you get more of a feel of the environment Um, and then I'll do some talking heads as to where if it's like an action scene I might go with you know, okay, so one of my characters, she has super speed in her arms. So with her, I like to do a lot of panels, but with rapid action going throughout mm-hmm. all the panels. So so the reader can get a feel of what's going on. It's like, okay, she's doing so much on this one page, so in a short period of time. But you see all the action she's going through. Um, so, yeah. it's, so it's all dependent on the character and what's going on in the script. So... Um, yeah, I'll go through and uh, thumbnail like that and, and uh, yeah, just move it forward. And then after the thumbnail portion, uh, I'll kind of decide which, page, which pages I feel like working on at the moment. When I first started doing this, I would actually go in order. It's like, okay, well, I'm starting on page one and I'll um, go to two, page two, etc. Uh, mm-hmm. But, I, but I, found, I found that to be a bit of a slog and um, just just me burning time. It's like, well, I don't feel like drawing this page, you know? And, uh, yeah, I developed a, a method. I call it the slack method. 
It's called the Slack method because it is the Scott Lost Advanced Comic Method. And uh, so I've basically created a template where I lay out or I have a, a eight pages on one sheet. And so I'll lay the thumbnails out all, all on those pages and, you know, until until I need need them. So if I have um, 22 pages, then it'll be three, three files like that laid out. And uh, so I'll go through, I'll thumbnail everything. And after that, when I'm ready to draw the pages, it's like, okay, what do I feel like doing today? Um, I feel like drawing characters, you know? So today mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on characters. And so before I'd be working on one page at a time. Now I work on basically eight pages at a time. And uh, so I'll bounce around between those eight pages and just work on all the characters uh, that day, if that's what I feel mm-hmm. like doing. Um, there's gotcha. other there's other days where I feel like working on backgrounds, and those are the best days. Because any day of the week, I can draw a person. I can draw a character. I can draw a human, um, you know, monster, whatever. But there's certain days where I do not want to touch, touch a background to save my life. It's like, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not doing that today. And uh, mm-hmm. so those days when I actually do feel like working on my work extra fast. Because I want to knock out as many backgrounds as possible that day. Because who knows when that day is going to come around again. Yeah, um, gotcha. Yeah, so that's that's my process, and then I just keep doing that until I'm finished with the pages. Once I feel like a like a particular page is almost being completed, I'll stop working on all the other pages and focus in on that one and just bang it out. Rock and roll. So that's what we can look forward to in the in the coming weeks here. Yes, sir. Um, all right. All yeah. Right. So that's that's my week, man. What are you up to, or what were you up uh, to? Yeah, yeah. For me. I was uh, this. This was a very CEO week, right? I mean, I'll just I'll just name these kind of weeks the way they are. When I say, of course, being the CEO of your very, very, very small comic company, so it was a lot of things that were like required a little bit of work on the writing end, but uh, that little bit of work is is necessary, you know. So let's see. It was it was involving some back and forth with the letterer for Kadoja Volume Three, Issue Two. There were some back and forth along the uh, the script and the lettering. So again, just just as a refresher, there's four issues in Kadoja Volume Three. At least the way I've broken it up, mm-hmm. it'll get it'll get solicited as a trade in the future, but we'll probably offer the option for individual issues come Kickstarter time. And so it was. Uh, so issue one is completely done. Issues two and three are inked, like drawn and inked, but no lettering. And issue four has not even been drawn at the pencil level. So I'm simultaneously working on issues two and four, basically, and in terms of talking to people. So for issue two, I had some questions on the lettering and the script that went to it. The person who's doing the lettering writes himself. So I'm getting a little bit of like bonus questions, you know, mm-hmm. that are just the kind of curious questions that someone who doesn't just letter what's on the page um, is likely to ask, which is pretty cool. For issue four, um, I'm starting to hear back from the artist on some things, you know, questions about this, questions about that. So what I ended up doing is I had a question that was, is the issue four script final? Um, is there anything you want to change? And so what I actually did was I took some time and uh, and went ahead and looked at issues three and four, since those haven't even gone to lettering yet. Did a couple very minor tweaks to things like dialogue and, you know, eliminating a thing here and there where I felt like I was saying something I'd said already for the sake of brevity or for the sake of just not repeating myself. And then, uh, but it turned out that there was really no no changes that impacted the panels for issue four for the final issue. So does... Okay, at this point, 
have have you run this by editors or um, your mates at at two one five? Like, do you yeah. do you run this stuff by them first before you go to this stage? There's not a lot of back and forth on Kadoja when it comes comes to two one five editorial, but for a book that isn't out yet like Three Protectors, that's where I'm waiting for the blessing. And then there's also the future book Animals, where um, I'm, I've am i actually, you know, give, been given the okay that where 215 Editorial will give me a heavy consult on that, on that because he wants to work through it, right? It. So, um, so yeah, it's basically the, the less proven the property, the more hands-on the editorial process will be. Kadoja's on its, you know, it's published 10 issues with another couple on the way. So that's more, okay. You know, we, we know where we are there. Okay. That makes sense actually. So yeah, that's where we are on that. And then I'm trying to think what else I did. I also made a couple inquiries about possibly alternate covers for Kadoja down the road. I also set the, what I hope to be, you know, the artist slash cover artist for three protectors in motion. Um, so I think that'll be a lot, you know, neater, even though I haven't gotten the final thumbs up on um, on Three Protectors. It's time to go ahead and pursue the covers there. So that's pretty fun. And um, and then I, I think I've also I think I also banged out. Um, I, I have a little reminder in my own calendar to knock out a just design a new Kadoja track for the upcoming volume three once every three days. Nice. And so um, I'm up to four kind of sketch versions of tracks where I have the drums, the basic kind of progression of how the music goes and things like that. And then uh, the fine tuning can come later. So it's basically, you know, again, kind of house house and or, or foundation and wood for those tracks. And then a lot of the other finer tuning stuff can come later. But I'm in the mood where I just want to knock out a lot of the basic principles of the tracks. And that's what I'm doing. So every three days I'm sitting down, forcing myself to take the time and uh, and making a song. That's awesome, man. Are you looking at your books when when you're thinking of these tracks? Like, okay, this is okay about this part of the soundtrack. They should be in this area of the book. So you do a certain tone or vibe, or you just you just going with it. So to your point, to to mirror you, how about it is more? It's what I feel like doing. Okay. So I'll say, okay, this session. I'm going to think of a track for a subtle in between the big moments kind of track that might be mm. a little more quiet and pondering. So that's what I'm going to hunt for today. So then I start kind of going through my my libraries of samples and start building things um, and then just figure out what I want that to be. There might be other days where I'm like, OK, it's big fight day. You know, I want something for a big fight or I want something that's super sinister or I want something that's, you know, whatever it is. Right. It's more that I get to pick any moment and any mood that I want and then I just go from there. Okay, yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah, man. Yeah, hey, it, it, it again, it's, it's what works. It's it's writing where the heat is, right? Exactly. It's, exactly. It's, you mm-hmm. look. We we do this for fun, right? Like we've we've talked about this before. Yes, we would love to break even or even make money or become a mega billionaire. I don't even know, right? But right now, we we primarily do it because it is fun, and having fun is the name of the game. And so that means we get to do what we want, and doing what I want can mean writing to whatever mood you feel like you're in. Yeah. And it's just, it's more productive that way. Like, you know, like I was saying, there's some days where I don't feel like drawing a background, so I won't touch them. But those days where I was like, no, you're on page one and all that's left is to draw these buildings and those cars. And it's just like, 
I'm dragging my feet while I'm doing it. Why why am I yep. doing that? It's not as productive. You're adding time to your total. Like days where I'm in the mood for it, I'm jamming through them. I'm burning through them. Days where I'm dragging my feet, oh man, you're getting a couple more hours than you should have. You're wasting time. And you know, you can always make more money, but you can never make more time. So why waste yep. that? Yep. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So no, that I mean again, that that in a nutshell is my week. I'm going to leave it on something and uh, I'll try to remember to pick this up because next week I actually want to talk about if I can't punch my way through it on my own, I want to talk about a little conundrum I'm having with animals. But I will save that for next week because I want to give myself a little bit more time to think through it and see what I come up with. And if not, we can have a little live session talking about it on uh, on next week's podcast. I can answer that question right now. You should spade and neuter them like right away. So interestingly <laughs> enough... That has nothing to do with it, though I do oh, appreciate it. Oh, well then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and and well, second of all, it's a hell of while a guess. I appreciate the nod to Bob Barker. Thank I was you. Okay, about people. Thank you very much. I didn't know if you were gonna. I didn't know if you were gonna get it, but that's definitely. Yeah, it's a Bob Barker reference. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But this is people, so that wouldn't work, or it would. I don't know. I don't know. I think there's some people out there that need to be spayed and neutered personally, but <laughs> save a lot of yeah. Uh, you know, it solve a lot of problems. Okay, so we we made it here. We made it here. We made it to the the second part. And uh, unless <laughs> unless hundreds of rioters storm my house right now <laughs> yeah. while we're while we're trying to do this, which anything's in play right now, right? Um, we're we're going to talk about some books, right? We, we're going to finally make good on what we wanted to do. And just as a as a kind of refresher, almost to us, we do want to mention the stuff we're reading every now and then. Um, just to maybe give shouts to some good books. So, you know, it's funny. I was So what we're going to do is we're going to exchange a couple books that we're reading and just talk a little bit about them and, um, and go from there. So why don't you go first, man? Tell me, tell me one thing you've been reading recently that, uh, that's, that's sticking out to you. Okay, so the first book I want to talk about, it's called The Scumbag by Rick Remender and Louis LaRosa. Uh, it's from Image Comics, and they're on issue three right now, it's, so it's a good time to get on. And it's essentially about the worst person in the world uh, getting the super soldier serum, like the Captain America super soldier serum. So mm -hmm. the main character basically, it looks like a roadie from Def Leppard or something like that. And um, he's just awful. He takes the soldier, the super soldier serum and the, the company, the agency that developed it, uh, they basically have to convince him that he has to do the right thing and save the world. And so him just being a terrible person, uh, it, it's really a chore, and he really makes them work for it. And uh, it's a fully painted-looking book. It, it doesn't look like it's uh, traditionally painted. It's more than likely digital painted. But uh, it's a beautiful book. Initially, I wasn't that into the art, uh, and I wasn't sure about the style for it. But then after three pages, I, was, I completely changed my mind, and, and it's perfect the way it is. Um, I love the art on it, and it doesn't hurt that Rick Remender is one of my favorite art or writers. So mm -hmm. uh, the combination of the art, the story, and the writing is just a, a really great book for me. So I'm really into the scumbag. Hell yeah, man! All right, cool, cool. So, uh, so the first book I want to talk about, it's a little aged. As we are, as we are, <laughs> um, and one of the reasons is because I've been so immersed in writing 
you know, the book that I've been working on for a long time, um, prose, and also reading fiction, that uh, comics have fallen a little bit by the wayside. And I think one of the reasons, though, is that I haven't had a whole lot of comics I've fallen in love with. And that's starting to change. Um, and we'll get to that with the second and the third book here. But the first one I want to talk about had been sitting on my shelf for quite a while. It is A.D. After Death by Scott Snyder, who wrote it, and Jeff Lemire, I think I'm pronouncing that right, who's the artist. I've heard and, Lemire. Um, Lemire? But, I, you know, I think I've heard oh, Lemire. Lemire. Okay. Yeah, I've yeah, heard Lemire mostly, but I think I've heard Lemire a couple of times. Okay, all good, all good. Okay. Well, um, I've, I've read a few things of his and, and have always liked him, and he definitely has a distinct style of art, the kind where you can look at it immediately and go, oh, yeah, I know, I know who this is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is also a two out of three book review. Um, but it is it is super interesting. It is it's actually kind of a beautiful comic. So it's it's part prose and part comic. And so what it'll be is it'll be these pages of prose with an occasional drawing on it, right? Like just chunks of prose with drawings. Um, and then it'll alternate back into comic book panels. And what it tells is the after death refers really to kind of after the death of almost all humanity. And so this is obviously a, uh, maybe not a so distant future, but what's happened <laughs> is some kind of, you know, pollution, plague, extinction level event has happened and killed almost everyone on Earth. But the people that survive can live forever and they never age. So mm, it takes you a while to really establish that. And uh, and so and and also the people who survive live roughly twenty five thousand feet above sea level. So everything that's still civilized is still high. And there's this low, fucked up kind of, you know, it it looks gorgeous when it's kind of drawn, but it's just this weird kind of fog gloom thing. And uh, it tells the story of, of a specific person and how, I mean, there's there's so many great personal anecdotes in here. And so it'll be like, I remember this story about like how we found this weather balloon when I was young and my dad called the school and it was for a contest and blah, blah, blah. And then there's another one about his mother getting sick. And there's all these anecdotes and stories that just weave into this current tense of this guy kind of takes the station monitoring, you know, the area below to see if there's any life there. And um, they're pretty convinced that there isn't any. And then at some point he hears what he thinks is a transmission from there. And uh, the book too ends with him deciding that he's actually going to go down there. Right. And um, in my condensed version, it makes it sound like that thing is like just a critical thing. But I I can't bear or at least I should repeat that the anecdotes and the little stories here are really kind of what make this work for me. Right. So it's it's a different kind of comic. It's a prose slash comic comic. Um, and the first time I punched through it, I I was like, wow, this is just different and kind of weird. And I'm not sure how I feel feel about it. But then the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. And um, and the trouble with with this series, which is with a lot of series, is I couldn't find issue three anywhere. And then when I finally found it, it was basically the same price as just rebuying the trade hardcover. So oh, I just bought I the trade hardcover. And that actually just showed up today. So I will look forward to reading the conclusion of that, you know, tomorrow or something like that. Who published this? 
I think this is Image. Yeah, this is an Image book. Oh, okay. I was gonna say I was like, this does not seem like a DC <laughs> situation. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of mega sized. It's it's basically magazine size, which is a pretty interesting um, device that they use for this. You know, okay. so it's got that oversized maybe digest format to it. But uh, yeah, man, really cool book. Really cool book. Yeah, that so uh, cool. so what, what do you? Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm digging it. So what do you have next? Uh, let's see. I'm trying to stay away from the big two. Um, I feel like they have enough, uh, you know, exposure. So, yeah. um, trying to get some exposure to other books. Um, I will go, and I've talked about this before. I, I've at least mentioned it on a couple of previous episodes. Uh, it's from Boom Studios. It's called We Only Find Them When They're Dead. And it's by mm-hmm. Al Ewing and Simone DeMaio. Uh, Simone DeMaio is one of my favorite artists going right now, uh, a newer guy, um, at least for me. You know, I found him very recently. And, okay, so the second book I want to talk about is from Boom Studios, We Only Find Them When They're Dead by Al Ewing and Simone DeMaio. Uh, Al Ewing is a super solid writer. He's been around for a while. Simone DeMaio is relatively new to me, and I think he's pretty new in comics. I think he's got less than 20 books under his belt. And uh, the the first place I saw him was Mighty Morphin Power Rangers versus Ninja Turtles, and I've been tracking him ever since. Um, so this book, the the premise is, in this world, humans find dead gods in space. Um, it's a space space adventuring civilization, and uh, they find dead gods everywhere, and they never find them when they're alive. Hence the title: We only find them when they're dead. So the main characters, their mission becomes to find a live god. And uh, yeah, and, and wackiness ensues. So it's it's a pretty amazing book. I enjoy the writing and the art is amazing. So uh, if you're into a hybrid American slash anime manga style, uh, this is the book for you. Rock and roll, rock and roll. And that's a book that I also read. Although I will say... Oh, you do? Oh yeah, man. I, I find I find the writing a little bit um, confusing. You know what I mean? Um, and maybe it's because I'm tearing through it so fast the first time and could stand to digest it a little bit better. Okay. But uh, I don't know. There does seem to be. We've had this conversation over beers. There does seem to be this trend in writing to make to make things like kind of purposefully um, obfuscated, right? And it, it feels like that here, where there's just a bit. There's a bit of kind of like purposeful confusion going on on the part of the well i know they're jumping back and forth through time and uh you know i think that's just a storytelling choice i i don't find that i'm confused uh and i i will say that i do kind of take every page in i'm not a quick comic reader and i I I am i have a couple of buddies that are that just fly through them um and and for me i just i kind of don't understand it you know it's just like ripping through a book, I, I can get you know prose because you're you're reading the words and you're visualizing it as you're reading it. Um, I mean, at least that's how I do it. Uh, but for a comic, it's like you're reading it and then you're absorbing the art, or at least that's that's how I do it. I like take in every panel and and I want to make sure I understand completely what's going on. So I, that's just my process. Everybody's different. ah, but you're an artist, you see. Yeah. That night, yeah, it's it's kind of the appeal of of comics to me in general. It's I've not a bit, I've never been a big prose reader. Uh, I've read some books here and there, but I'm not big on it. I'm a visual learner. I'm a just a visual person in general. So 
uh, that's why I love comic books so much. You know, it's like, hey, I'm getting to read a story, but I'm getting to, I'm getting to look at some beautiful art at the same time. Yep, yep. Uh, and, and I do that too. It's just that the first time through tends to be like a plot, you know, page turning kind of read for me. Okay. Um, so again, I'll, I'll, it's like the jury's still out of my comment. I'll probably still keep it in because I'm too lazy to edit it. Do you, do you? God knows I'm doing enough editing this episode. I know. I'm, I'm the worst this episode. Okay. Yeah. Get, get two white claws in me and I'm a mess. fucking shirt like clothing comes off yeah you you can't form coherent thoughts it's it's all great don't ask me upstairs Um, for a cocktail uh no nightcaps here yeah man so let's so with with that said though do you read all of your comics twice yeah generally oh wow okay yeah Mm -hmm. see that's something i don't do i usually read them once and more than likely will never read them again yeah, I mean, it, a, a fair way of putting it is I read it twice if it's half worth a damn. You know what I mean? Um, it's almost like the first one is a perusal kind of review read. Like, did I spend my money wisely? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Interesting. Um, okay. So so it sometimes once, sometimes twice. But the intent is always, in, in fairness, it's more like if it's good, then I tend to tear through it because I want to see what's going on. Right. And and some mm. of this is frame of mind stuff. You know, you can just be in the place where you're not ready to really focus on a comic because of whatever reason. So, yeah, that's you know, true. it happens. Yeah, it there happens. are times where I'll fly through a book because I'm like, well, I'm almost done. Let me just kind of burn through these last pages. And yeah, um, yeah so I hear you. Word up, word up, word up. All right. So my second book is by Boom. I just looked at it on the back. And I think it's about a dozen issues in now. And it's a book called Something is Killing the Children. Ah, yes. And... Good book. Yeah. Do you do you read that? I've read the first issue. I bought it on a whim. I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in Liberty Station down here in San Diego. There used to be a comic shock, uh, comic Kazi, um, mm-hmm. R.I.P. Comic Kazi. It's no longer there. The owner passed away. And oh. uh, yeah, so I just popped in, said hello. I had you know the, some accidental alien titles in there, so I always like to pop in and buy a book or two. And uh, yeah, I saw it on the on the shelf there. I saw a Jay Lee cover, the the main character, the the girl with the mask. She looked pretty awesome. So I was like, yeah, I'll give it a go, and read it, and enjoyed it. Yeah, man. So uh, and the you know it doesn't take very long to establish what the something is. They establish it immediately on like the second page, and by the fifth or sixth page, you already see it, right? So. It is it is the trees like there are these things that are sort of trees and sort of hell monsters that are the woods that are killing the children. Sorry for the spoiler alert. But, you know, if you read seven pages in the first issue, you're going to know this anyway. Um, And to your point, there's this woman that's kind of the, you know, without overgeneralizing, kind of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer character, right? Like a Mm -hmm. a tree slayer. And uh, and there's more things that unfold as we go. Um, My my comment is only based on the first trade, which I have. Um, But yeah, man, it's it's really good. It's it's dark. It's not super dark. So again, if I'm going to combine it, it's 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 got a whole lot of dosage of horror. It's got some dose of, um, you know, again, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's also, uh, you know, got kind of like the horror of the fact that this thing hunts kids, which is pretty, or these things hunt kids, apparently. And um, and there's there's some neat elements there, right? There's there's detectives on the case. There appears to be some sort of agency that is connected to this, you know, demon slayer, tree slayer character. The kids try to unpack the mysteries, um, and we follow the perspectives of a few kids. And it's overall enjoyable, man. This this book. And uh, and a couple other books 
books, one of which I'll get to kind of as the third book, have really gotten me excited to go into the comic shop on Wednesdays again. You know, and it's been a long time since I've really been looking forward to Wednesdays. But, uh, but you know, this book and a couple other books are due. Uh, okay, so we, final book. Final book. What did you okay. want to talk about as your All right, book? so I'll leave these other ones for the next time we talk about comics. So uh, since we're a couple of uh, indie creators, I wanted to spotlight an indie book. Uh, from uh, a fine young gentleman that we both know, uh, Gary Hodges. He does a book called Dinosaurs vs. Mars Bots. And uh, he recently released a book, 1997. The first one is 1975, and both were extremely enjoyable. So we met Gary at uh, Phoenix... Whatever the fuck the Phoenix Comic Convention is called. Yeah, it used to be called uh, Phoenix Comic Con. Now it's called Phoenix Fan Fusion. Yeah, And uh, so we tabled next to Gary and uh, seemed like a cool guy. We ended up talking a large majority of the last day specifically. Like we were just kind of near each other for a couple of days. And then I think the last day or two, um, we actually got to talking and, and, you know, get to know each other a bit. And so we exchange books as creators usually do uh, if you enjoy each other's company and and each other's work seems uh, good. So I actually read 1975 a couple of months after and uh, really enjoyed it. I, I liked his art style. His writing was fantastic. And um, yeah, so he released 1997 and uh, bought that off of him. Uh, you can go to uh, Dinosaurs vs. Mars Bots on Instagram and uh, Twitter, I believe. So hit him up. His He has a, a website on there and you can pick up the books there. So a really good book. It, it's basically what the title says it is. Uh, you know, you got some invading Martians and the government has dinosaurs so it's a pretty rad pretty rad book yeah it's kind of it's kind of an x-files men in black angle right? yes yeah. um so i've i've read 1975 and and i have not read 1997 yet which you know hopefully by the time this airs i will have purchased that already because you, you're giving me a reminder um but yeah man 1975 was really good all right what's your last book yeah my last book so um you, you know it's funny because i realized too late after I picked these three books that I did not rep an indie book. So the next time we do this, I'm going all indie for the three. So go. I will I will make up for it and specifically pick indie books, even if they're a little bit aged, just to give some shine to the indie books. Look at but, you, um, little go-getter you. Yeah, little go-getter, even though like none of these three are. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but anyway, so the, the third book I want to talk about um, is, a, is a really interesting book that is just like you cannot judge a book by its cover. It's called Ice Cream Man. And it's by Image. I encourage anyone listening right now that does not know what Ice Cream Man is, go ahead and look up the cover to issue one, right? Or, or the graphic novel. Um, the, the, the first graphic novel is a man holding up a wonder, like an old school bow tied ice cream guy holding up a scoop of ice cream in the scoop of ice cream itself. It says Ice Cream Man and there's a bunch of happy kids. This is a horror book, right? And this is a uh, kind of sad you know, at times depressing, um, at times horrific horror book. And uh, and that ice cream man is, you find out pretty early on, a sinister dude, but you're not sure how sinister and why. And so I'm purposely taking my time with this because it's up past 20 issues. And I okay. have the first two trades. Okay, well, and, they, uh, don't don't spoil it. Don't don't tell, because I this sounds interesting to me. So I want to yeah. read the reveal, but uh, yeah. yeah, go go ahead. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, I, I, it doesn't take long, trust me, to figure out 
again, same thing, right? By by the time you get about six or seven pages in, you know some weird stuff's going on. Oh yeah, it's I'm sure like he's murdering big, these kids. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it. Well, I mean, it's not it's not even that. It's it's different than that. It's okay. almost like a Twilight Zone kind of thing where you follow a different thing every episode it's like a story of the week it's a story of the issue so every issue is a different story that kind of takes on a tragic or a vicious or a nasty turn um or but but the interesting thing about it is you know there's there's something it's as 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 much of a downer as it can be it's almost kind of life affirming in a way because you get through it and i don't know it's just almost like a catharsis you know and i suppose that's what you could say about a lot of horror but um but yeah man i recommend it so if if horror is your thing um you've probably looked and and you didn't know about ice cream man you've probably overlooked it because of the cover i encourage you to check it out and actually open it up and dig into one and ideally um buy it and and, and see if uh, if it's your thing yeah, I'm, I'm checking out some of the art right now, and I can see what you're talking about. Like, initially, the art doesn't necessarily jump out at you. There are a couple of images that are pretty pretty stunning. I was like, oh, that's that's super cool looking. Uh, but the yeah. story alone sounds, sounds cool. Uh, very intriguing. Yeah. So I'll be picking those up. And I'm a single issue hunter. So I'll be looking for the individual issues uh, first. Yeah, oh boy, that's so. I mean, again, it, it depends. You know, the the world has gone variant crazy, especially you know the booms and the images. I mean, I guess Marvel and DC do it too. I just don't read a bunch of Marvel and DC anymore. Yeah. But uh, you know, like we only find them when they're. Oh, sorry, we only find them when they're dead. Hasn't quite escalated yet. But something is killing the children. Those issues can get quite expensive as you get at the beginning of the run. And I imagine Ice Cream Man as well. But uh, yeah, man, happy hunting. I hope I hope you find them. You know. At a good price and uh, and enjoy them. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, this this will air uh, a week or two after we record, so I'll have a little head start uh, on the audience. Yeah, before <laughs> before this podcast drives up the value. You remember when? Uh, you remember when Wizard used to do that? Yeah, that their their indie picks would. You know what? I'm going to do a quick indie pick, uh, indie shout here. Actually, no, I'll save it for next time. No, go ahead. It's my do it. favorite. It's okay. So it's my favorite indie comic of all time. It's probably my favorite comic of all time. And I haven't mentioned this, but I was actually the spotlight creator back in an issue of um, Diamond Previews. You know how at the beginning of previews, they always pick one indie creator as a spotlight. Um, I was that creator way back, I think, for Kadoja's first run. Oh, wow. And uh, I, re- I recommended this book as well. It is Infinite Kung Fu by Kagan McLeod. And uh, I follow Kagan on Instagram, and he does commercial art a lot now. Mm -hmm. But Infinite Kung Fu is this absolutely bizarre, throwback, kung fu, horror, insanity of like 250, 300 pages. I cannot say enough good things about it, man. It is so fucking good. Was it initially a a comic book that was collected into a trade, or was it released as a trade? What happened was, it was initially... So, And and the reason I I bring up Wizard is because I found out about it in that Wizard... They had like an indie corner or something back in the day, and they brought up in um, Infinite Kung Fu, which was self-published by Kagan for a while. So I have a couple... I mean, they're beat to hell, but I have the first, I think, seven issues... And the way I remember it is he did um, about seven issues and then he just stopped, right? And then the comic disappeared for a couple of years because he was already segueing into um, commercial art. Um, but then at some point, I guess it was top shelf 
before Image bought them. Top Shelf um, somehow talked to him and got negotiations or however they found him. And he ended up extending, enhancing, and finishing Infinite Kung Fu into a trade. So if my memory serves me correctly... You can really only get about seven issues as issues, even though the trade itself would probably be more like 12. You oh, know, okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. So it was kind of like it started, it it stopped, it fizzled, and then resurfaced as this gargantuan trade paperback with way more content than where you ended at the issue, end of issue seven. And, uh, and it's really interesting because since I had the OG indie run, he redrew, I think, all of the art when it came time to do the trade paperback. And you can see the difference in styles and things like that. I actually own a couple pieces of original art of his as well from Infinite Kung Fu as pencils. Oh, wow. That's awesome. How did you get a hold of those? He sells all his original art now. But back at the time, um, he went through a site. He's Canadian. And there's a site called, I think, The Beguiling that uh, that I believe that's what it's called. And they would sell creators individual art probably for a small pass-through fee. And so he he gave a heads up that he was selling a lot of the originals and I grabbed a couple of them off the beguiling. I, I got to dig them out. I got to dig them out and rehang them up because uh, yeah, I really love them. That's cool, man. That's hella cool there. That's yeah. something I've always been interested in doing is uh, picking up pages from series that I love. I actually own, I think I own two pages from invincible and one page from uh, Ryan Otley's, Spider-Man run. I'm a big fan of Ryan Otley. Ryan Otley is one of my favorite favorite artists. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to do that with other artists as well. So that's super cool that you got those. Rock and roll, man. All right. And Sweet. so, uh, wow. Wow. Our, our, wow, is was this a long... Well, I don't know how long it really is. Yeah, I got 108 on my ticker here, but then I don't know. I think maybe 15 to 20 minutes of it was us BSing. So I don't know. Yeah. 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 And then, and then there was another 10 of us fucking up. Oh yeah. <laughs> right? Mainly so, me. Yeah. 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 All good. All good. Let's, uh, let's go ahead. You you ready to sound off with your social media? Yeah, man. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Scott lost. That's S C O T T L O S T and facebook.com forward slash Scott lost, uh, for my social medias. Yep. And for me, Instagram me is Keith underscore decibel. And for uh, Kadoja, it is Kadoja Kaiju, all one word. And you could find my comics, The Second Shift, a story of minimum wage workers during the day and heroes at night and Wanderers of Melisanda, humans versus anthropomorphic dinosaurs over at accidentalaliens.com. You can also find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com forward slash user forward slash FN Rage, R-A-G-E. Hell yeah. And then for me, uh, I have the site KeithRFoster.com. There you can check out some um, articles, blog posts I did. You can also check out Kadoja, which is giant monsters meet HP Lovecraft, right? Or an HP Lovecrafty take on your typical kaiju um, giant monster smashing up stuff books. And if you have any questions about making comics, things we haven't talked about, things we talked about briefly and you want to know more about... Uh, email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com and we will read them on the air, quote unquote, and uh, answer them to the best of our ability. On the air with a mere 10 day delay to That's give right. us time to bleep out the profanity because we're really sticklers for that. Or me forgetting to unmute my microphone. <laughs> for eight minutes. <laughs> for eight fucking minutes. 
All right, man, man, I'm hoping that you and I weren't going back and forth in those eight minutes. I think you were. No. Yeah. You I'm, went. I'm, you went. It was just. It was just. You went, and so it was fine. Well, but the thing is, I stopped you when I noticed. So yeah. I don't know how long my mic was muted. You're you're on my phone, so I'm never muted for you. But yeah. but on the computer, I might have been muted for a while. We'll, oh, we'll, I see. So yeah, that's funny. Yeah. So let's. You're see saying this editing task is going to be even more difficult. Yeah, I'll owe you more than one beer. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm thinking. Well, someday restaurants will reopen, and you, we can go back to Lazy Dog, and you can hit me with a couple. There you right? go, man. So. I'll buy you a flight, and uh, yeah. And if you guys listen to the podcast, please leave us a, a review and a star rating on Apple Music or whatever podcast streaming service you use. If there is ability to leave us a review or give us a star rating, please do so. Five stars or the better. Right now we're at a, a three, three five-star reviews, so don't, don't fuck it up for us. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, my man. So until next time. Till next time, thank you for listening to Making Comics, and we'll see you on the next one. So, so the thing about Whataburger, we were, you know, like when we were on our way out of Arizona, is that I love Whataburger when you get it. But if you let it sit for a few minutes and then eat it, man, it just all of a sudden, I don't know, it feels like the lettuce gets cold. The whole thing gets cold. Maybe because there's not that much meat and it's Whataburger is more of like an experience. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like it's like it's like a Whopper. There's not a lot of meat really there. And so it's more about like the toppings and things. Right. But I was going to say I'm having a hard time thinking what burger ages well after about 10 minutes. So like in particular, you know, we're, we both live in the land of In-N-Out. You give me, you give me an In-N-Out in the restaurant, and I, I love it. You know what I mean? Like, like when you go up to the counter and you you pick it up and you just eat it right there, or in you know coronavirus world, you eat it in your car or something like that. Mm. I cannot, for the life of me, imagine going going home and eating it fifteen minutes later. Like fifteen minutes later, an In-N-Out is trash. Mm. I uh, I don't agree. No, no, because I never eat. I almost never eat at In and Out. I ne- I almost don't eat at fast food joints. If I ever get fast food, it's always drive through, and um, I get fa- I get In and Out on the regular, uh, and it does take us about fifteen to twenty minutes to get home. So I'm used to it, and it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe if I've had it fresh and then did that, maybe I would have that same feeling. But um, I think my usual In and Out ritual is taking it home to eat. So. Maybe it's more equivalent to McDonald's fries. Like McDonald's fries are trash after X amount of minutes. Oh, yeah. I agree. I agree. Like, in fact, I've taken to picking up McDonald's a lot in this last month because the McRib is back. And I've been (laughs) been smashing that whenever my diet can tolerate. I mean, I think both of us generally eat pretty healthy. Mm -hmm. If I'm eating McDonald's, I plan that two or three days in advance. And then what I have to do is I have to buffer the McDonald's experience with actual calories that matter in my other two meals. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? 100% like, so I'm going to eat, sense, yeah. I'm going to eat a good breakfast with like good stuff. I'm going to eat a good, let's say dinner with good stuff. And then 
you know, the McRib and fries is just an empty calorie delight, yeah. right? And I do that to some extent with foods that might be a little bit more like substantive, if I'm pronouncing that right. But, um, but like, you know, things like, uh, you know, around you, right? Like Lolita's, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things, man. That that jam you plan around for, but you plan around for that because that's like fourteen hundred of the best calories you're ever going to eat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But but you got. In fact, we had that after we recorded that podcast in person. Now that I think of it, uh, about a month ago, right? Mm-hmm. It was it was uh, it was that time. But yeah. Anyway, it's it's just interesting to me that to, that some foods really hold up well. Like I imagine that a Lolita's carne uh, California burrito holds up really well, even if you drive thirty minutes to get home. Yep. Even uh, it, even on a rewarm, like if you eat half, like which I usually do, mm, I'll usually eat half yeah. of the burrito, and I can heat up a cali, and it still be good the next day. Carne asada, even yeah. better. The trick with carne asada fries is, by the way, and you can do this with pretty much almost every single fry. I've never tried it with McDonald's. If you throw that bitch in the air fryer, oh man, it's so mm. good. Yeah, it comes. So out. I don't have an air fryer yet. I thought you were gonna say the oven. Which also implies, but maybe maybe I'm like Rachel and I have been talking about getting an air fryer, and it seems like I've now heard that thing come up three times in the last two days. Oh, I love it! I love my air. I swear by it. I tell everyone about it. Uh, before the air fryer, I used to do it pan fry. You can pan fry carne asada fries and mm. um, throw it right back in the container with some fresh cheese on top, and then throw the container for a couple, uh, close the container for a couple of minutes, and um, you got fresh cheese. And it tastes awesome. Nice, dude. Okay, yeah. this. See, this is this is like a this is like a cooking show for people who eat like shit, which is pretty great. <laughs> yeah, and I do the same thing you do. Like, if I'm going to have some terrible food for me, some delicious tasting terrible food for me, um, I'll yeah. usually eat pretty clean before or after, depending what meal it is. So, yep. uh, it's it's all about the balance, man. And so. Um, even right now I'm trying to lose some of that holiday weight. So even though I'm not eating out, if I have carbs, I'll usually have carbs for my first meal, uh, mm. if, if I can help it. And then, yep. uh, for dinner, it'll just be mostly protein, if not all protein. And then some veggies, if any veggies, unfortunately, yeah. that's, that's a bad side about me is, um, I'm not huge on the veggies. So, but yeah, yeah. it's all about the balance. I hear you. Yeah, I mean, again, to one one final balance note. My kids, when they were coming home from practice last night, they got me. Um, they got just a bunch of McDonald's for everybody, mm-hmm. and they come home at like nine fifteen. They're like, "Hey, Keith, we got McDonald's if you want it." And I'm like, "I, I ate dinner four hours ago." You know, like I don't, <laughs> I don't know what world you live in where you think I eat at nine fifteen. But like, that's not, I mean, I'm an old man, right? Like, I have the dietary habits of an old man. I'm I'm proud of this. I took that in for lunch today. Oh, okay. And, uh, Heated up next day McDonald's is sort of atrocious. It's I sort of don't know that I've ever had the next day McDonald's. Maybe a hamburger or a cheeseburger, but yeah, um, I think a hamburger or cheeseburger you're fine. But yeah. like, and remember, I'm at work too, so like we're talking microwave oven stuff. I can't, I can't like throw chicken McNuggets in the oven to mm-hmm. give them some kind of substance. And uh, and Big Macs just were not meant to be heated up, you know. <laughs> no, so. I ate it. I ate it, but I also had to like immediately counter with something clean for dinner, which I did. Yeah. You know, it was just like I felt. I felt like I'm. I'm going to steal a phrase from Chuck Klosterman. I felt like I was coated in petroleum jelly after I ate it. <laughs> ate that, that much. Honestly, I and I can see a clean meal being like almost a reward after a shitty bad meal. Like yeah. I've I've had some bad uh, in and out or not in and out um, fast food experiences. 
and I just felt atrocious afterwards. And I was like, okay, yeah. this, I need to remedy this like ASAP. And then after I ate the clean food, um, you know, for the next meal, I felt better about myself in general. So exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt. And I mean, I might as well shout it out. I had a Waba grill, which for people who mm. don't know, that would be like a, I mean, we have a couple spots like that here. We have a place called Fr- Flame Broiler, mm-hmm. which is just kind of clean eating teriyaki bowl. Yeah. Right, and uh, that's what Waba Grill is as well. So yeah, man, it was just chicken and brown rice and a bunch of vegetables. And you, to your point, it, it felt necessary. It, and uh, and after I finished it, it was like, wow, this is really satisfying. So yeah, anyway, yeah, I love that. Good stuff. Good stuff. So why don't I uh, why don't I queue up? Uh, we're on an even. Can you believe we're already at episode eight, man? Oh, are we? Oh, nice. Yeah, can you believe the Sixers shut down Bradley Beal in the fourth entirely? Dude, he did not. Yeah, that kind of sucked, though. I I was like, yeah, I was rooting for your Sixers because you know we do this pod together and 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 all that. Yeah. I like Ben Simmons, um, but I wanted Beal to get sixty. Yeah. Oh, I did. I I wanted Beal to get seventy. The problem, <laughs> I think the the problem was like like the situation was so perfect for it up until about the fourth quarter mm-hmm. because the Wizards were consistently down by about 15. So Beal could just go off and I didn't have to care, yeah. right? And then all of a sudden, Beal went to the bench and the, the Wizards bench just just crushed the Sixers bench, which is unusual. The Sixers bench is pretty good this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, then by the time the starters came in, it was tied. And now it's like, oh boy, now they're going to, I almost kind of called it, you know, like now they're going to have to lock people down. Yeah, and uh, sure enough, man, they just they just rotated defenders on Beal. It went from Embiid to Simmons to they put Thibault in at the end. You know, yeah, and it was they doubled like, him. They're doubling him a couple of times as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, hey, do you see that crazy alley oop off of the backboard Westbrook Westbrook threw? I'm you like, mean the shitty one? Yeah, yeah. the super duper shitty I thought, one. I thought that's what you meant when you said that pass. Unfortunately, I checked my phone about 20 minutes later. Yeah, that stupid ill-advised thing that didn't hit anything. That was uh, great. The the one, the text I sent you that pass, it was Embiid passing it to the corner where no one was. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was awesome. And like the I, I listen to, of course, the Sixers announcers uh, when I'm, you know, when I'm watching the game. Yeah. And uh, they were just like, oh, well, somebody the, must the have totally, been there. The totally impartial. Totally impartial. Totally they're they're par- actually not yeah. bad. You know, I mean, we yeah. we can talk impartial and partial. I, I mean, we live in a world of like partial sports observers, which is fine. It's It's right. fun. Right. But the point is, don't be blind. Right. You know, like, um, you know, like to the the uh, the retired Clippers announcer, Ralph Lawler, mm-hmm. I found him really funny because he was a homer, but he was like pretty transparent about it. And he was also super tongue in cheek mm-hmm. as opposed to being like a blind homer like you might get out of the I think it's the Oklahoma City announcers are pretty terrible. OK. And there's a couple more around the league where it's just like, yeah, I for sure. Stand it there because um, I watch on this. I watch on a streaming site. So. I kind of get whatever they give me. And so mm-hmm. I've watched a couple of Laker games where it was the home announcers. And they're so, not all of them, um, but they're just so partial to their team. And Yeah, who's it, Bill? Who's who's the guy? Does he still work for them? The guy who goes, Jack in the box. Oh, Bill. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, fuck, I don't even know his last name. Um, yeah, he's he's the one. He's the and any and every Laker player he calls by their first name, which drives me crazy. It's like, yeah, like you and LeBron hang out, you know, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> I will say though, they get like Stu. They Stu especially gets on the players 
if they're screwing up, like he'll, he'll point it out. He'll be like, oh, he, he's, yeah. he doesn't have it. Look at him. He's, oh, he's, I'm cool with Stu. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, I, I watch a fair amount of Laker games just because, you know, we're here on the West Coast. And when I want to settle in with a basketball game, there's only really, what, three teams, four teams? Um, well, technically five, but there's no way all five are playing that are going to tip off at 730 right. our time. Yeah. You know, so, you know, Lake, Lakers, Clippers, Warriors, uh, Kings, and the, the Trailblazers. You're going to watch one of those games if you want to just kind of end, wind down your evening. You know, yeah, and mm-hmm. Stu's cool. I like Stu a lot. Yeah, and um, yeah, so they'll, they'll, point out, they'll point out stuff where they're making bonehead errors and stuff like that. And they, they both do genuinely get up for the other teams at times. Like, um, that's, that's something I do enjoy. It's like, and, and I feel a certain way. I used to feel a certain way. I don't, I don't anymore. But what they would talk glowingly about the opponents, it's like, man, they're really pouring it on about these other ones. But then mm-hmm. listening to other commentators, it's like, wow, you guys are so partial to your team and you're basically shitting on the other team. I'm like, this is, yeah. okay, I, I see now. Like, this is not the, a good balance. It's, it's um, completely homers and, and just in favor. And, you know, like you were saying, some blind witnesses – um, out yeah. there and it's just it's not enjoyable like i was yeah, just like yeah. fuck these guys i hope we blow this team out you know <laughs> hey can i can i mention a quick thing because you know we know there's such a huge cross-pollination between people who make independent comics and people who are diehard nba fans right, right? but um if you haven't so there's two teams that you need to watch if you haven't watched them already i think i think i remember talking about this but the phoenix suns mm-hmm. are fun and good right okay. and um and the fucking Atlanta Hawks are such a treat, man. The oh, Hawks man. Are I could just looking at the rosters, I could tell you that. I'm like, yeah, dude. How how are the Pel- not the Pelicans? How are the um the Hornets? Cuz they seem like they'd be fun on paper as well. I I, always, I liked Rozier uh in yeah. Boston and I like LaMelo's game. His his game seems pretty fun. So, my my unofficial opinion on LaMelo as a Hornet is he sucks. Okay. He is he is not adjusted to the NBA right now. Not that he's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't look right. You know, like they played the Sixers two out of the last, you know, they played them two in a row, kind of like a Wednesday and a Saturday. Yeah. You know, that seems to be NBA the move game. right now. Yeah. Uh, where, where which people, which where I'm completely cool twice. with. It's kind of like yeah. baseball. Baseball does that where you kind of get the series out all at once. Yeah. Yeah. So. I kind of like it. It, it. Hey man, whatever works. But yeah, yeah, he looked, he doesn't look, half as good as the Sixers rookie Tyrese Maxey okay. right now. Right now, he could end up being better, and he definitely shows flashes, mm-hmm. but it's not there yet. You okay. know, um, So it's kind of interesting because this rookie draft class, it feels like the guys drafted about 8 through 20 are coming out of the gate way stronger than the guys drafted 1 through 7. Does but, your, uh, does your rookie have more years? Is he younger? Is he older? No, I don't think so, man. I think okay. he's I think he's a I think he's a one year guy. I think he went he's a Kentucky guy, which is, is always well, going to there you, go. you know, unless you're Anthony Davis, it's going to depress your stock value because you're probably averaging twelve a game in Calipari's system and your stats don't pop, mm-hmm. you know? But they're always solid. You're always getting a yeah. solid player out of Kentucky. So. Yeah, man, he could dude, he could play too. So I'm 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 pumped about that. I mean the, the you know, the Sixers haven't really played anybody except for maybe one or two teams, but mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Best record in the NBA is best record in the NBA. Yeah. So I'll take that. And with that, we should actually get going because this part's just gonna go at the end of the podcast whenever we tack it on anyway. Okay.